you know, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of, you know, we trudged our way through it and, and all those types of things, but um, there's a freshness and there's a newness. It doesn't mean that your relationship with God had to be stale, but um, I, I think that there, there comes a time when God will release a new pattern and uh, when he's about to do something different. And uh, he, he, he'll release a new pattern and he's going to release a new way of doing things. And um, I mean, everybody ready for the new? Yes. The, the, yes. the cool thing, what, what makes you ready for the new is um, getting really tired of the old. And you know what I'm saying? But if you fall in love with the old, it'll be difficult for you to receive the new. And um, we, we want to let go of, of maybe the way things have been done in the past, and we want to embrace what God is doing right now. Um, and, and I'm not going to here to tell you that I know exactly what that looks like, because I don't, but I am saying that whatever it is, I want it. And, uh, and uh, I feel like God is going to be, he's, and the, the way it was kind of coming to me in prayer this morning is, God's throwing something from heaven, and we need to catch it. You know what I'm saying? And, um, um, and, and so getting wore out on the old is what kind of prepares you for the new, and, um, and so it's exciting, you know, and, and, and I'm excited about it. But uh, when God is doing something new, he'll give a new pattern. And we, 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 see, it in, uh, the, we see it throughout the scriptures where God began to change the way he was doing things. You know, when God brought uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt and uh, brought them, you know, into the journey of going into the promised land, uh, there came a time when, when God set Moses down and gave him a new pattern of worship gave him a new pattern of the way to do things. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, uh, we, we serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed. And when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. So God took Moses up and gave him a pattern and gave him a way of approaching God, a different type of relationship. And how many know they, they created the tabernacle? They created, uh, they built uh, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, they, they instituted all of these new things that the people had never known, and, and they operated in those things uh, for, for a long time. And, and that's the way that they worship God. That's the way that they approach God. And uh, there was a time when that, there was a freshness to it, and there was a beauty to it. But then how many know there came a time when that pattern died as well? And there was time for a new pattern. And, um, and, and it doesn't mean that God changes, but what it does mean is the way that God um, does things and relates to man can change. How many know relationships can change? How many know you can grow in relationship with someone, and how many know you can grow distant in relationship with someone? And uh, relationships are dynamic. They're not set in stone. They can change. And the whole time, God's been drawing humanity to himself in a place of relationship and drawing us closer and closer and closer and, um, and so there was a new pattern uh, that was given to Moses. He operated in that pattern, but then eventually it became stale. And how I many you know if you have a pattern without relationship, you end up with religion? You know, you, you see that beautifully um, when the children of Israel experienced a level of deliverance when the serpents were biting them in the wilderness, that, you know, God said, take a bronze pole, put a serpent on that pole, hold it up. Whoever looks at it, it's going to be protected from the serpents. They're going to be healed. And that was the pattern that God used to deliver them, and those that beheld the bronze pole were delivered. How I many you know that's a typology of Jesus Christ? How I many you know actually the, the serpent was crucified on a cross? No amens on that. But I don't mean that. I mean, Jesus was the one that was crucified, but how I many you know the cross was a, a bomb sent into darkness that exploded and destroyed darkness? Amen. How I many you know the enemy is the one that lost? And the Bible says it had had, had the enemy known, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. The worst thing the devil could do is try to kill Jesus. But God tricked him. God tricked him. Jesus laid his life down. And so that, that, that bronze pole was a typology that was pointed towards Jesus, pointed towards the cross. And so for a season, that's the way that they obtained deliverance. But eventually, that pattern was no longer there, and they ended up turning that thing into an idol that they worshipped, and they called it Nehushtan. You may be familiar with this, you may not. And so they, they started worshipping this pattern, and it became an idol to them. It became a hushed. God left that pattern a long time ago, but they were still there. And so um, uh, I am ready to change. Like, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I got to do. I don't care what church has to look like. I don't care what my life has to look like. I don't care what I got to do. I, I need, I need this. <laughs> I need Jesus, man. And I need him. I need him. And, and uh, whatever I've got to change 
in order to receive that, um, I'm willing to do it, and I feel like you guys are too. Um, you know, we're, we're all, you know, very, religion is tiring, man. And anything, anything can turn into religion. Anything can turn into religion. It, it, it's not the action itself. It's the motivation and the heart behind it. There's a time in my life when I danced religiously before the Lord. Like if you were to come in and see me, wow, this guy's on fire. He's on fire. He's on fire. And I'd be up here dancing before the Lord, but really I was trying to earn God's approval. Really I was trying to get God to like me, and I was trying to get the pastor to like me too. And so really it was actually a display of being on fire, but really my heart wasn't near God. Now I think I started in a place of genuine zeal, but it turned into a formula. How many anything could turn into a formula? And, and we have to be real careful. Uh, and so we don't want that. And so I believe that God is releasing a new pattern. And, you know, we, we see it. Um, let's turn to 1 Samuel, please. And we, we, a beautiful picture of what this transition looks like. Um, how many know there's a difference between the reign of King Saul and the reign of King David? There's a difference between there. And so there came a time when there was a, a transition out of that old pattern, and then David brought something new. What did David bring to the table? I mean, you know, David just brought relationship. David just brought um, this place of relationship with the Lord, and David, you know, prophetically was seeing ahead into the Messiah, was seeing ahead into the new covenant. Uh, David was a, a man who had the sure mercies of God, and uh, we, we see a beautiful example of, of what God actually wanted from man in the life of, in, in, in the relationship between him and David. Uh, how many know David was not a perfect man? You know, by any standards, um, you know, he, he definitely made a ton of mistakes. But the thing about it is when, when David made a mistake, he didn't run from God, he ran to God because he attributed goodness to God and not to himself. And Saul was not like that. You know, Saul uh, began well, he began anointed, uh, he began, you know, appointed by the Lord and he started well, but but slow, you know, and here's the thing. You don't see the same mistakes in Saul's life that you see in David's life. David's mistakes are glaring. Adultery, murder, you know, counting the children of Israel when he wasn't supposed to. And, and we, those are glaring. But in Saul, you don't see these outward displays of immorality. But what you do see is a heart that's very far from God. Saul, um, after he won one of his battles, it just, you know, very casually in Scripture says, and Saul erected a statue to himself. And, and, that, that, and that is what man-made religion does, is it always ends up deifying man rather than deifying God. And we enter into this place of man worship and hero worship, and Saul was very concerned what the people thought about him, but he had no relationship with God whatsoever. He didn't really care what God thought about him because he didn't have a relationship with God. He had a, he had a, a, a public um, uh, position, a public office, and he, he, he grew... To, to love the adoration of the people. And uh, he, you know, he did it before the people. Even when he sacrificed, um, when, he, when he wasn't supposed to make the sacrifice as a king that was supposed to be a priest, and when he did that, he said he did that because of the people. And, and honestly, man, in what's coming, it, we just can't care what anybody thinks. We just can't care. And, 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 and you can't give um, airtime and attention uh, to the critics. You know, and to those that want to tear something apart, uh, look, folks, you can find fault with anything that's happening. You know why? Because people are involved. And anytime there's people involved, there's always going to be something that's not totally right. And how many know that we are people <laughs> as well? And so um, God is doing magnificent things, and God's moving in the earth, and it's just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. But in the midst of that, uh, are there going to be mistakes? Yeah. Are there going to be things that are messed up? Yeah. And how many know we still have an enemy, too? And the enemy's going to steal to try to bring these things in, but I would encourage you to not sit on the sidelines as a critic, but to have a childlike awe and wonder about God. And to, to maybe, because everybody in here, you've got these pages in your mind that's been written out through your experience and what you've learned about who God is. You have this perspective about who God is. Everybody in here, you have that, right? Different types of perspectives on who God is, different experiences, all these things. But I encourage you to hold those papers loosely and to be ready for God to blow those papers out of your hands 
And, and, and the way he's going to astonish you is with his goodness. The way he's going to, going to amaze you is with his goodness. Because as good as you think God is right now, he's actually better. <laughs> he's better than what you think he is. And, and it, it is that goodness that leads us to repentance. It is that goodness that leads us to change. But God's like, I am so good that I'm not worried that my goodness is going to lead you into a lifestyle of licentiousness and sin. I know that my goodness is going to overwhelm you to such a degree that you're going to fall in love with me and you're going to do whatever I whisper because you're going to love me that much because I'm that good. And, um, and so, and he how many of you he loves you first? How many of you he loved you for you loved him? I was his enemy. I was an atheist. I was anti-God. And he loved me then, and he loved me then just as much as he loves me now. Can I get an amen? And so there is, I encourage you to be ready for change, uh, to be ready to, 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 uh, to allow God to do a new thing in your life. Amen? And so, um, and, and the beauty of all the challenges that we faced here recently has set the stage for change. How I many you know we've all been through some hell the past couple of years? You know what I'm saying? I mean, just collectively, like, we've, we've, everything that we've trusted in has been shaken and removed. Um, you know, the longer you live, the more you realize you can't trust anything. You can't trust, you know, the government. You can't trust the financial system. You can't trust the medical community. You can't trust, and I'm not, I'm not just up here trying to, you know, fire arrows or anything like that, but what I am saying is everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and that which cannot be shaken will, will remain. Amen. And what can't be shaken? The kingdom of God that's within us. Amen? It's time for the kingdom to arise. It's time for Jesus to arise. It's time for these eternal things to arise, right? And so these years of challenge that we've all faced, it's brought us to the place of desperation. It's brought us to the place of humility. It's brought us to the place of God, whatever you want. And how many know that's a good place? And that's actually, that's a combustible place. That's a place where God can dynamically explosively do amazing things in a very short period of time. How I many you know we're seeing in our state a hunger for God? So thankful, so thankful. And we're seeing a hunger for God. We're seeing a, 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 a just people just hungry for the Lord, man. And um, the stage is set for great things to happen. And so God, is. there's a transition that's happening in the way God's doing things. And so just like there was a transition between Saul and David, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1 it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. And so there was, a, there was a transition that was happening during that time, and they were transitioning out of a place of religion. You guys turn to uh, 2 Samuel 5 too, as well, please. If you want to, you can look at the stream. But um, there was a transition that was happening, and um, the, the children of Israel were transitioning out of a time of religious service into a time of relationship, into a time of relational service. And so God had been developing the heart of David for many years, and David was carrying as flawed as David was, and he was flawed. He was carrying a real relationship with God. And honestly, folks... That's what God's after more than anything else. See, if you were to look at Saul's resume, it's a lot cleaner than David's. We see no adultery in Saul's life. We see no murder in Saul's life. We see no, I mean, really, you look at Saul and you think, well, God's not that bad, you know, just in terms of what he did. But how many know God does not look on the outward man? God looks on the heart. God's not concerned about this, out, this exterior. God's concerned with the heart. And so within Saul's heart, Saul did not have a genuine relationship with God. He had a performance. David brought a relationship with God. And so um, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we see this relationship um, in action in David's life in that David did not assume he knew what to do. That's a great place to be. It's a little scary because you're not real sure what to do. But... David did not assume he knew what to do. He asked God. And that is relational. See, Saul assumed he knew what to do, and he went out and made the sacrifice. He's like, this is what we got to do. Before we fight you know, the Philistines, we got to make the sacrifice. We got to do this. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what the people want us to do. This is what we've always done. So let's, let's, let's go and make this sacrifice so we can get the blessing of the Lord. 
And David did not assume that he knew what to do. He inquired of the Lord. You see that throughout David's life. What should I do? The Lord said, well, do this. What should I do? Well, do this. I mean, that requires humility and sensitivity and relationship with the Lord. And so we see an example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, And then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. He did not automatically think, All right, the battle's here. Let's go kick some butt. I'm mighty. I'm strong. I got this. I'm a warrior. Children of Israel are powerful. We're going to smite the Philistines. He did not assume that he knew what to do. And I think we live in a day and time when it's, it, it's not time to be a know-it-all about God. And it's a time to humble ourselves and just do what he says. How I many of what he says works? How I many of when Jesus took the mud and stuck it in somebody's eye? How I many know there's, there's no formula for that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's no formula for that. Or when Jesus said, okay, you know, I mean, you know, Jesus healed a lot of different ways. And, but what Jesus did, I mean, you know, Jesus brought a relationship to the table. And he said, I do what I see my father do. I do what God tells me to do. So out of a place of relationship, Jesus did unusual things. But how I many you know unusual things work if the Lord leads them, leads you to do them? Can I get an amen? And so um, it says, David inquired of the Lord and he said, and the Lord said, you shall not go up and circle around them and come upon them. You shall not go up and circle around them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And so David didn't bring a formula. He didn't bring an old pattern. He brought a relationship. Can I get an amen? And so let's turn to Acts 15. And we, we've been talking about this a little bit. We talked about this last week. But a portion of what's currently happening is there's a restoration of the tabernacle of David. And um, that's been prophesied that it has to happen um, in order for the return of Jesus to happen. And then it also has to happen in order for the multitudes of the Gentiles to get saved. Now, certainly... Uh, it happened uh, in biblical times. There's a restoration of the tabernacle of David, but but there's still there's still a, there's still a restoration of the tabernacle of David that's happening in the times that we're living in. Now, what does that what does that look like? Um, let me let me read you this passage of scripture real quick, and then we'll discuss it. Acts 15 and verse 16. It says, "With these words of the prophets, agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild a, the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down." And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my, by my name, says the Lord God who does all these things. And so just a, just a quick little review about the tabernacle of David. I mean, you know, uh, Moses' pattern, uh, in Moses' pattern, there was an inner court, there's an outer court, and there was a holy of holies, right? And in Moses' pattern, there implied a sense of distance between God and man. And because sin had not been taken care of yet. And so, um, you know, the common people could go to the outer court. The priests could go to the inner court. Only one person once a year could go into the inner court, which was the high priest to make an atoning sacrifice for the children of Israel. And there were only three groups of people who were actually anointed by God, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Everybody else just had to hear from God through those people. So there was a system that was set up, and it was an important system. It needed to be set up. Um, but it, it imposed a sense of distance between God and man after Mount Sinai uh, when, when that happened because that's when the law came and that's when we entered into a covenant with God where we had to try, when we did good, we were blessed, and when we did bad, we were cursed. And in order to keep us alive in the midst of all that because we're not real good at doing good, uh, we instituted uh, animal sacrifices in order to cover sin, in order to keep us in that covenant because we've never had the ability to obey God perfectly ever. Never. It's never been, you know. You know, David was mad for God's own heart. David made enough mistakes to land him in prison by today's standards. And so David being the best, you know, that's what, that's what we have to offer, right? We are those that are rescued. We are not those that, we are the sheep. We are those that are rescued. That's good news for all of us, isn't it? Praise God. I'm thankful. 
But um, and so that that tabernacle was there, and um, you know, in in the in the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant, and that of course represented the presence of God, the abiding presence of God, right? And uh, if you look at the Ark of the Covenant and you really study out the typologies of it, how I many you know it's actually talking about the finished work of the cross? Um, that's what it, that is a typology. That's what it's representing. Inside the Ark was man's disobedience, the broken Ten Commandments, uh, the manna that man rejected, and the rod of Aaron where man rejected God's leadership. But God had it in the box, but then upon the box, God had the mercy seat uh, beaten out of pure, pure gold and then the, the cherubim that were over that, and then the sacrifice was made upon that mercy seat. How I many of oh, Jesus is the mercy seat? How I many of oh, Jesus is the propitiation? Jesus was the mercy. And so that, that Ark of the Covenant represented the finished work of the cross. And so when the, when, when the tabernacle of David was, was, was put together, what had happened under King Saul is, how I many of oh, once again, how I many of oh, Saul didn't care about relationship with God? Saul wanted power. Saul wanted control. Saul wanted glory, right? I mean, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of, unfortunately, leaders like that in the church today. Pastors and leaders who, 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 who've, drinking, who've drank the wine of, 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 of receiving the praise and adoration of man, and, and they're in a bad spot, and, and, and they're really trying to be in control, and, and it's just not good. Now, I'm not against those people, okay? How many of God wants to save those people? I mean, God's never at a time when he doesn't want to rescue one of his kids. So never, ever for a moment think that God doesn't want to help somebody that's fallen. I don't, I'm, I don't care if it's, I don't care who it is, God's heart is always restoration. It's always restoration. And, you know, and in the day and age that we live in, how many of all things are different now? How many of you know Saul took his own life? But how many of you know in the New Testament, how many of you know Saul's become Paul's? Everybody's one donkey slip away from changing everything, right? So as I'm exposing the lives of the enemy, because the enemy is the one that has brought these pastors and leaders into this place of hero worship yeah. where they're, they're, they're the superstars. And all. Folks, there's no room for any superstars. That game's over. That is, I know that is a part of the new pattern. And thank God. Thank God, man. There, there, there's only one superstar. His name's Jesus Christ. The purpose of a minister is to get out of the way and point to Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose. Gosh. And, and, and we're moving towards that. And I know that is a part of, I know that's a part of the new pattern. Um, and so, anyway, these, the, these people, have, they've gotten tricked by the enemy, and they're in this position where they think they're awesome and all that. And, and Saul was in that, was in that same position. And, 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 so, and so Saul did not care about the Ark of the Covenant. Talks about it in the Psalms. He left it somewhere. It was out in the woods. Grass was grown over it. I think it's Kirith Jerem or something like I don't know how to pronounce it. Logan knows how to pronounce it, I'm sure, but... It's, he, they left it out there in this place because he didn't care about it. And how many know that there has been some time where preachers didn't care about the finished work of the cross? They were more concerned about how they could control the people. Control the people's behavior, control their giving, control their church attendance. Why? Because we got to build a bigger building as a statue unto my name. Strong words, but true words. And so they've forgotten about that. Because how many know when you institute the finished work of the cross in a, in a sermon or in a church and you start preaching the finished work, how many know all of a sudden nobody in, this, nobody in the room gets glorified except Jesus Christ? How many of I can't take credit for anything? How many of you can't take credit for anything? The only person who can take credit is Jesus. So as you start to preach this, you lose the ability to control people. You can't make them give. You can't make them come to church. You can't make them do anything because you ain't called to make them do anything, right? I mean, you know, the, the purpose and the calling of a minister is to point people to Jesus so they can have their own relationship with God and they can hear God for themselves and they can be led by the Spirit of God and God can move in His people. Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to get rid of leadership. There's, there's no, we need leaders. Leaders are great. But how many of the purpose of a leader is to serve? She said, hey, you don't know what leadership looks like? We're going to wash some feet. <laughs> He's like, this is what leadership looks like. We serve, right? Leaders are not to be glorified. Leaders are to serve. Can I get an amen? And yeah, you want to honor somebody so you can receive from them, but how many know you should be honoring the person next to you just as much as you're honoring the pastor? Can I get an amen? Because nobody's any better than anybody else. It's a family. It's a family. It's a family. 
And so, um, and so, and so there's a, there's a, there's a, a what was I talking about? More. Tabernacle of David. Thank you. We are family. Somebody else got the next. What is it? All right, all right, all right. I see you. But see, the finished work makes us a family. It's not a performance on the stage where somebody's trying to be the man or the woman or whatever. We're family. Nobody's any better than anybody else. We're together on this thing. I mean, everybody in this room can learn from each other. We can all minister to each other. We all have different gifts, amen? The body needs to, to be the body, amen? And so, anyway, so Saul had forgotten about the finished work. And how many of the body of Christ had forgotten about the finished work? And man, when you take Jesus out of the building, man, you're, you're left with man-made religion. You're left with control. You're, me, you're left with the glorification of, of the individual. And the attention and the focus is not on Jesus. The attention and the focus comes on, on the minister or the denomination or non-denomination or whatever. How I many know we're all so tired of that? I mean, I could, we could gag collectively to get, you know, I mean, just together. Like, let's have a collective gag. No, I'm just kidding. No. What'd you do at church today? Well, no. no. But we, we've cried, we've laughed, we've gagged. We don't want it no more. Amen? Praise God. It's over. It's past, right? But, but, but David, it says in the Psalms, that his heart longed for the ark. He longed for the presence of the Lord. He longed for Jesus. He longed for the ark. And he wanted to bring it home. He wanted to bring it back. So he went out and he searched for it and he found it and he tried to bring it back and he was unsuccessful the first time so he tried to do it in his own strength. But eventually the ark came in and the ark was restored. And you know what they did when they brought the ark in? I ah, love it. They did not create separations for the people. They didn't say, okay, you're the cool kids, so you can come to the inner court. You're the cooler kids. Or no, you're the cool kids, so you can come to the outer court. You're the cooler kids, you can go to the inner court. And, you know, as for me, I'm in the Holy of Holies because I'm the most awesome, right? They didn't do any of those things. What they did was they just brought the ark, and they put it, they put it under a tent, and it became the tabernacle of David. And you know what? There wasn't separation between us. We all became one people and one family, and we all worshiped before the Lord together. And we... And we weren't there to, to see the minister. We were there to see Jesus. We weren't there to, 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 to be seen or to be, or none of those things. They just had this celebration of music and dancing before, before the Lord. And that is, what, that is what's happening right now. There's a restoration of the tabernacle of David. And, you know, we've seen it, we've seen it happen at Asbury College. They refused to allow big-name preachers to take the platform or big-name worship leaders or anybody to come in and try to soak up the glory because the attention and the focus was on Jesus. And so you got these regular college kids up here leading worship and like, and it's so cool, and I, I'm not speaking disparagingly of it, but some of them weren't great musicians. And I'm so happy to see it. Like they had one big old kid up there. I looked like he'd been playing guitar for a week. He was a big old boy, man. He was up there. He looked like he just came off the football field, man. He's just like, and I love it because you know what? God showed up because God wasn't concerned about how well he strung the note. God wanted his heart. And so here God is pouring himself out, and God does not need help from anybody to do it. He don't need no big-name preacher, no big-name worship leader. God's like, it's cool. I'm just going to do it just like this. And man, kudos to Asbury College for guarding that and protecting that and keeping that and keeping man out of it and making it about Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. But what I want to show you is that is a part, I believe, and I'm not so much here to tell, I believe that that's a part of, of the new pattern is, is um, that the attention and the focus is going to be on the Lord and, and not on man. Amen. And God's going to do great and mighty things. And he's going to do great and mighty things through people we didn't think he could do great and mighty things through. And he's going to pour out his spirit, you know, and, and, and it's, going to, it's going to humble us, amen? And so listen, don't become the elder brother right now. Don't be out in the field grumbling, well, they ain't having a revival. I've been going to church for 25, 30 years. I've been believing God, blah, blah, blah. And then you got this college kid been saved for a week. You know, and like, you know what I'm saying? Been saved for a week and just in the presence of God just... Flowing off of it. So you can either go to the party 
where there's music and dancing, or you can sit your butt out in the field and complain. But I will not be sitting with you out in the field. No, that Brother Johnson will be in the party. <laughs> I will be dancing, and I will be eating fatted calf. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So, like, we got this celebration coming, and don't, 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 don't allow a critical spirit to come in you. Can, you. can you look at Asbury and pick apart some things that happened? Sure. Could you, could you pick apart some, could, you, could we look at each other and pick apart things in ourselves that are, yep, well, sure, yep, because we're, we're earthen vessels, like, that's just a part of it. But a part of the tabernacle of David is there's not this sense of separation between us. And there, there's a sense of unity and wholeness, and just that the focus is on the Lord. It's not on man. And uh, I just, it's just so exciting, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, but that was the tabernacle, and that's how, that's how it happened. That's how it set up, and, um, and it was awesome, and it's going to be awesome in the times that we're living in as well. Amen? And so that, those are a couple of things that I know about the new, because how many know we've been talking about this for a long time? I've been talking about this for, golly, man, probably over 10 years. I've been talking about this, and that there's a transition out of you know, hero worship into a place of like actually worshiping Jesus and kind of trying to move out of the way and let Jesus do his thing. Amen. And so that is, that is a part of it. Um, but, but let's turn to Malachi chapter four, please. I didn't say three. Amen. <laughs> oh gosh. Malachi chapter four. It's not bad, but many people have... <laughs> Many people have used that scripture to scare people into giving for a long time. Let me tell you something right now. God loves you, and God has blessed you, and you're not trying to get God to love you and bless you with your money. Can I get an amen? God loved you before your wallet. God will love you after your wallet. Can I get an amen? Oh, hallelujah. We, we, can't, we can't get off in that ditch because uh, I'll talk about that a whole lot. We already know that in here, so we don't have to talk about it. But... And this is the next part I want to talk about. In times of transition, which we're in, God sends Elijah. God sends an Elijah's in times of transition. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. And so Elijah is not just a person in the Bible. How many know Elijah represents something? Elijah represents the prophetic. Um, Elijah represents um, a father. And there is a release... Of, of, of this in the earth to help us in this time of transition, okay? So now I want, I want to look at that. Malachi chapter 4 in verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the, of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. So now this is God in the Old Testament prophesying that he was going to send Elijah before the coming of the Lord, right? Now, let's turn to Luke chapter 1, and we find out that God sent that spirit of Elijah on John the Baptist, right? And so John the Baptist came in preparation for Jesus' first coming. Because for some reason, in these times of transition, there are certain things that God needs to do to prepare the way of the Lord. There's a, there's a front runner that comes forward and, and prepares the way of the Lord. So I want to actually read this scripture, not just talk about it so that we can get all on the same page. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 14. And this is, um, they're prophesying to Elizabeth um, as um, John the Baptist is in her womb. And, and they're talking about what John's going to do and stuff like that. Luke 1 and verse 14. It says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Same statement again. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so um, there's a preparing that happens. And, and, and the time of, of, of preparation during this time of transition, that's what's going on in, in the world right now. And so um, I, I don't believe that 
you know, I don't think there's one person that's in the Elijah spirit or one individual. How many know that, that, that an individual can represent something that God is doing in the earth? How many know there's a release of the prophetic in the earth? Now listen, there's a redemption of the prophetic. I don't know if any of you guys ever ever been under bad prophetic, but I have, and it's rough. And um, and and what's bad prophetic? Bad prophetic when the is when the ark's not there, when the finished work is not there. How many know when the ark's not there? It's Ichabod. The glory has departed. And and when the ark's not there, what happens is when someone's operating in a in a prophetic nature, a prophetic office, they're trying to act like an Old Testament prophet, and and they're trying to uh, basically just kind of control people, unfortunately. And also trying to bring attention and glory to themselves, and also many times lining their pockets with money. Uh, that's what Balaam did. Balaam sold the prophetic, and so um, anyway, that's gross. And um, but it happens. And so many of us have had some 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 prophetic encounters where people prophesied over us. You know what I'm saying? Anybody been prophesied over? Hallelujah. You know, you, thus said the Lord, you shall marry so-and-so or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And so like, and what you have to understand about the prophetic, New Testament prophetic is different than Old Testament prophetic. Old Testament prophets were one of the three groups of people that were anointed. They literally spoke for God. People couldn't hear God any other way. They just heard God uh, through the law or through the prophets or even through the decree of the king. And then the priests represented the people to God. But under the New Testament, how many know that all of us have the Spirit of God on the inside of us? Can you get an amen? And there's not anybody in this room that's more anointed than somebody else. And you can hear God for you. Can I get an amen? Paul said it like this. He talking about the Corinthian church. He said, I would that you all prophesied. He said, I would that you all prophesied. What does that mean? That means you can all speak on behalf of God into other people's lives. And, 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 the, and the primary purpose of the prophetic in the New Testament is to exhort, to encourage, and to comfort. And, uh, there are, and to edify. And there are examples of correction. There are examples of talking about things that are going to happen in the future, but it is the minority. But the prophetic is now here to confirm what God's already speaking to you. Like I've gotten several pr prophetic words within the past few months, and they've all been basically like the same thing. And it's already something that I've known in my heart, but what's happening is God is using His voice through other people to confirm that and to encourage me as I continue walking down the path that I'm walking down. You follow me? How I many know, anybody ever had you kind of get the same word over and over again? It's just God just saying, hey, this is who you are. This is who you are. I hear you. I see you. This is who you are. This is who you are. Because the prophetic in its very core is simply the voice of your father just speaking to you. Just talking to you. And, and um, how many know that God is love? And when God speaks to you, even if it's correction, how I many of it comes out of a heart of love? There's nothing that God's ever going to say to you that's not love, because He is love. Amen? I'm not saying there's not judgment. I'm not saying that there's not repercussion. I'm not saying those things. There is. There, if you reject Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to pay for your own sins. That's a tough gig. I would encourage you not to do that. Let Jesus pay for your sins. Let Jesus do it. And if you choose to reject it, then there is a payment, you know? And you will be tried in the white throne judgment, according to Scripture, you know? That's not us. Can I get an amen? And we want to we keep as many people as we can from having to deal with that, with that. So I'm not saying there's not judgment. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God is love, and everything that comes from God is love. And that when the prophetic <clears throat> is done in an accurate way, you're going to hear the voice of your loving Father. It's going to encourage you. It's going to, it's going to comfort you, and it's going to build you up and strengthen you. Because listen to me, God's always going to speak to the person you are in His eyes. See, I mean, a lot of people talk smack about you. And they'll say things about you that they may see. And I mean, even, I mean, even some of the things they may see may be true. But God's not going to speak to you according to the way you're acting. God's going to speak to you according to who he sees you to be. And as you believe that, how many of your true self will arise when you'll walk in your true identity? See, someone may be, I, amen. That's the purpose of the prophetic. It brings you into uh, your destiny. It brings you into who, who you are. And so um, we, we, we've seen a lot of misuse of the prophetic, but there is a, there's a restoration of the prophetic that's been happening. How many of you prophets, people that are operating in the prophetic, how I many of oh, they should also have the character of Jesus? 
And how many know the character of Jesus is more important than the gifting? Because if I, got a, if I got a big, powerful gift and I'm whacking you over the head with it and I'm not displaying the love of God and the character of God, how many know you, you'll be impressed with who I am rather than drawing near to the Lord? You may fear me. You may have fear of man. How I many you know people fear prophets and stuff like that and get all weird? I mean, you know, hopefully some of y'all may have experienced that, but I fear the Lord. I don't fear no man. Uh-uh. No, no, no one has more of a right to God than you do. Can I get an amen? No person has more of a right. Now, I'm, I'm certainly we honor people, we respect people. I'm not trying to bring a sense of dishonor, but um, the prophetic has been misused. And as a result of that, it's caused a lot of damage, but God is restoring it. And a part of the restoration of it is, is, is what I'm talking about right now because we're in this time of transition. When, I mean, the Lord's coming back. The Lord's returning. And, uh, and so we have to prepare the way for him. We have to get things ready for him. Um, it's always been that way. When he came the first time, there was a spirit of Elijah that was sent out to prepare the way for him. And now when he's about to come the second time, there's a spirit of Elijah that's going out to prepare the way for him. Now, interestingly enough, when it talks about this, it always talks about fathers and children. There is. But before I step into that, I, want to, I just want to read a couple things. Matthew 3.3, 3, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophets, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Spirit of Elijah prepares the way of the Lord. Make, make straight his paths. And then Mark 9 and verse 11, it'll be on the screen. It says, And they asked him, saying, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. Restores. So, what, Elijah, what, what the spirit of Elijah does, what, what, what this um, transition does, this prophetic does, is there's a restoration that's happening from ground that's been stolen and lost by the enemy. And the primary thing that, is, that, that, that the spirit of Elijah comes to restore is a healing of the generations. A healing, you know, because what the enemy tries to get us to do is he tries to get us antagonistic towards another generation. Well, man, these Generation Xers, these Generation Zers, these, there's so many different names, man. And, and, but there's always this sense of, of you, know, the, you know, these you know, people speaking disparagingly towards the boomers and all this type of stuff. What, it, what is all that language? You know what the purpose of that language is? Division. It's trying to get you to divide against the people that you're called to be one with. You're not called to be one with your age group. You're called to be one with the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, there's going to be all different generations. But as long as the enemy can bring a division in our hearts towards the younger generation, a division from the younger generation to the older generation, then what's happening is we can't pass the baton of wisdom amongst each other. And so, you know, my dad should have passed me a baton. He didn't pass me a baton. The baton was dropped. Y'all tracking me here. So I didn't catch the wisdom that my father had. I didn't get to be fathered. You follow me? And so the baton was dropped. And so I got to start all over. I got to start from scratch. And so what the enemy does is, that's why the enemy hits the young people so hard, because he tries to get us turned away from them and get them turned away from us so that our hearts aren't towards them and their hearts aren't towards us. And there's a, <clears throat> a sense of division. And so the baton gets dropped and each generation, rather than building upon the shoulders of their fathers and being strengthened by the wisdom and the understanding and being fathered and cared for and raised up, they got to act like orphans until they can stumble around and find their father in heaven or hopefully somebody on earth that's willing to father. Because an orphan spirit is destructive. And an orphan spirit is, is currently what a good portion of the... Yeah, everybody's talking about, well, the problem's this, the problem's that, the problem's this, the problem's that, the problem... You know what the problem is? We ain't got no dads. If you want to look statistically, statistically, the common denominator of rebellion is fatherlessness. And I'm speaking from my own life. I was a fatherless child. And that's the problem. So we got to fix it. How are we going to fix it? Well, we can't do it, obviously, but the Lord can. And this is, what, this is one of the things he's doing with sending forth the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way, turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. 
That's the first step. It's not wait for the kids to turn to us. We turn to them. Because when we turn to them, they will turn to us. Because whether you realize it or not, they're hungry for our love. They're hungry for our help. And so there's this supernatural turning of the hearts. Hearts of the fathers to the children. Hearts of the children to the fathers. So that there can be a unifying of the generations. And there would cease to be this separation and this division and this attack. And we would become one body of Christ. Rather than deriding and judging. and Yeah, every generation's different. They listen to different music. They wear their hair different. They, they, they may play different games than you play. They may play video games as opposed to playing kick the can in the streets. You know what I'm saying? They may, they may or whatever. But what I'm saying is the enemy's always trying to bring a sense of dishonor to judge them. You follow me? And like we've got to allow the Lord to remove that and heal that so that we can help them. Y'all tracking me here. And I listen, and when I'm talking about, so this is, this is what's happening. This is what the Lord is doing. Now, how does it work? What does it look like? How did Elijah turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children? What did he do? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say. <laughs> it's not in there. It is true. How many know that the, the scriptures are the dots, and the Spirit of God is what connects the dots? And so there's all I know about this guy. Like, they're not talking about him doing miracles and signs and wonders, although Elijah did. They're not talking about him. They're just saying this is what he does. He turns the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers. That's what he does. And so, like, that... And, but here, how many know? Amen. So, so we don't we don't know how necessarily he's going to do it, but we know that he's going to do it, and we also know that we're that we are a part of that. How many know that the the that masculinity is under attack right now? They're trying, the enemy is trying to eradicate masculinity from the earth. Trying to put labels of it being toxic. Trying to put, the, the masculinity is under attack. All these gender wars and all these things that are going on, it's an attack against masculinity. Why does the enemy want to remove the man from the church? Want to remove the man from society? Why does he want to do that? Because he knows he can't do what he wants to do until they're out of the way. And so there's a restoration that God wants to bring to masculinity. How many know masculinity was created by God and it's not toxic? Now, how many know there are people who have used their masculinity in a toxic way? But it doesn't mean that it's toxic. And there needs to be a restoration of it. There needs to be a wholeness to it. Because there's something about it that brings healing and prepares the way for the Lord. Something about it. God said, I'm not coming down. Y'all <laughs> get this right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. He sent forth John the Baptist. What was John doing? Turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the children back to the fathers. The whole time. Now, I think it had, a part, it had something to do with the, the message he carried. I think it had something to do, you know, obviously with the preaching, with the things that he did. But listen to me. I also think it's just simply who he was. I think, I think everywhere that he stood, he stood as a father. And just being in his presence did something to the hearts of other fathers and the hearts of children. And, that there, and there was a repairing that was happening. And how many know what, what, what that actually looks like if you look at it? What does it look like to have the hearts of the fathers back to the children and children back to the fathers? You know what it looks like? Unity. Wholeness. Right? So, and, and you know, I, and I don't want to preach some gender-specific message. 
uh, because I'm not just here preaching to the men. I mean, I'm preaching to all of us, right? But, but there's a role that women play in the restoration of man's honor. There is a, men, men hunger and yearn for respect. I don't know why, we're just how we're designed. We, we're not, we, we, you know, never does it tell the wife to love the man. It always tells the wife to respect him. Never does it tell, it, how many of the, 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 what the Lord tells the men to do is to love the woman so that she will feel safe enough to respect and trust him. And it always comes back to the love of God. Because when a man can let God love him the way God loves him, it will give him the strength to love the woman the way that God wants her loved. And then when the woman is loved the way that God wants her loved, then she will feel safe enough to respect and honor the man. And then there's a wholeness there and there's a unity. But, but, but there are times... But so, so I say all that to say this, there, there's, an, there's, a, there's a role that, that women play in this in the sense that, I mean, obviously a massive role, but I'm talking about in the restoration of, 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 a, of a healthy masculinity, is there might, be a time, there might be a place where you honor and respect when it's not deserved to try to kindle the fire of who that person is. Because as men, we've not always deserved to be respected or honored because we've been selfish. That, and that's the primary attack of the enemy against man, selfish. Live for yourself. Do what you want. It's a man's world. Go do what you want. Live for yourself. Take, eat, kill, do. You know what I'm saying? And how I many of oh, that's not the role of a father? What's, what's the, and if you look in the Hebrew, the, the, the letter picture for a father is the word ox. And uh, how many of you know, ox is a sacrifice? If you're dad and well, you're laying your life down. You're not living for yourself. You're, you're laying your life down for those around you. And so there's a place where we're looking to help each other. And sometimes <laughs> that fire is out. And the coals are cold. And it looks like there is nothing to be respected in this man. But God may call you to see with the eyes of Jesus, see with the eyes of the Father, and not know them according to the flesh, and take the flinty rock and crack it together to have a couple little sparks to try to rekindle the fire of who that man is. If a man does not respect himself, there is no way he can be there for his children or his wife or anybody else. And so many men have been destroyed out of no respect for themselves because of the mistakes that they've made. And, and God wants to, how many of you know God wants to restore honor and respect in the man? And God wants to restore the man's love for his wife, the man's love for his children. Are you all tracking me here? And, and certainly I'm, I'm talking within the context of marriage as we're talking about this, but... I'm, it's bigger than that because how I many you know you're called to father children that are not your own? Oh yeah, if you're if you're one of these people that I'm talking about here, the spirit of Elijah. No, you father wherever you go. You father at the public pool. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Man, kids will just want to be around you, and they'll want you to watch them do something. Jump off a slide or, or something. And they might not be your kids. You know, and they, they, but they just, they sense something in you. Because your heart's turned towards them. And you see them as more than just some snotty-nosed kid. You follow me? And if your heart's turned towards them, then you'll look into their eyes and you'll listen to them and you'll care what they're saying. And you'll, and you'll restore value to them. Simple things, but I think it's, a lot of it's carried just within the presence, walking and living and moving, because this, this spirit of Elijah that's being you know, released in the earth, um, it, it, it's on display not just in church, man. It's in Kroger, in Walmart, in the gas station. Let's, let's restore honor to masculinity.
You know what I'm saying? Amen. Let's restore honor to it. Let's do, let's do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Let's not live for ourselves. And, and let's help prepare the way of the Lord. And how I many know we can all we can all help in this and, and help this to happen? Because here's the thing, it'll happen with or without you. That's one thing I'm convinced of. Ain't nobody gonna stop this thing. Now the question is, will you be involved or not? How I many know you're invited? But you're not, you won't be made. Um it's going to happen with or without us. But I'd like to be a part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would like to, to allow this to happen. Amen? It's good. So I'm not here to tell you what the pattern is. I'm just here to tell you that it's coming and it's changing. And, th- and these things are things that are a part of it. Amen? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because we're in a time of transition. We're in a time of transition. We're in a time of change. And it's exciting, man. We're all ready for it. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So we're going to close here. Go to Amos. And I want to talk about just this. Um, nah, don't go there. Never mind. Scratch that. I'm just trying to be led by the Spirit of God. You know what I'm saying? Um, trying to see what we're supposed to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's all just take a moment and let's talk to God. Oh, Lord, we see what you're doing. We see what you're prophesying, what you prophesied. We're, we're stepping into things that have been prophesied thousands of years ago. And uh, just like Jesus read the scroll, and said, this day, this is fulfilled in your ears. We're in a moment where this day, this is being fulfilled. And uh, Lord, number one, we're just honored. Just thank you. And um, we're grateful to have been chosen to live in this time. And, and um, you know, men, I would just encourage you to, to well, let me just stop here. Men, who, who wants to do this? Who wants to be a part of this? Amen? Yeah, amen. I do too. And so let's, let's, um, I don't want me to just pray, you know, let's, let's as men talk to God about this and then women trust again, respect again, honor again, try to kindle the fire again. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been hurt. But we need you. We need you to believe in us so we can believe in ourselves, so we can help these kids, and so these kids can help us. Because I think when this thing all finishes up, I think the kids are going to be leading us. (laughs) I do, man. I don't think we're going to be the leaders. I'm so okay with that. I think the kids are going to lead us. Because that's just the way God does things, man. He always humbles. He always humbles. And he always chooses the, the, the lowly. You know, what, how amazing would it be if this entire revival happened with nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds? You know what I'm saying? Like, and they were the ones. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and, you know, and teenagers and, like, like, even little kids speaking the word of the Lord. Do you think God might do something like that? I do. I might say we can't be involved. I mean, we're going to be involved, but we ain't going to be the star of the show. I can tell you that right now. Ain't nobody going to be the star of the show except Jesus. Amen? So let's just get, let's go back to that place of prayer. But what I didn't want to happen was me to just pray. You know what I'm saying? And um, 
And then I also don't want to switch into worship where we all just start, you know, okay, now we're going to worship and we're going to, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't want to do that either. So let's just all just take a moment and just talk to the Lord about what I've just shared. Amen. Thank you, God. Steph, will you put on a little something for us? Or Bambi? Okay. Okay, it's cool. It's cool. Not a big deal. Okay. Oh, it's okay. Don't don't sweat it. We'll wait till she gets out. Don't sweat it. Let's just talk to God, man. That's the most important thing. God. 